Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, The Battle of Long Tan. Your teacher is Peter Fitzsimons, whose latest book is about the battle with just that title, The Battle of Long Tan. And he joins us here in this year. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. Uh, can is we, my mic on? Yes, you, it is. <laughs> can, can we start where you started uh, in, in Ulladulla at the Civic Centre the other day, which is with little Patty? Because uh, it's... You know why it's a good way to tell the story? Because it signals how unexpected this battle was. Mm, I love that story of Little Patty, and I love the woman, Little Patty, who's going strong, her and Cold Joy, a wonderful relationship. But Little Patty, in about May of 1966, she's a former girl from Sydney Girls High, former student of Sydney Girls High, and she's at home in Botany one afternoon, and she's the toast of Australia because of this song, He's My Stompy Wompy Real surfer boy, and it's it's taken Australia by storm. Tisha, yeah. good at this. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's at home in May, and the phone rings, and she leans forward because phones don't ring very often. And her mother picks it up and says, "Yes, yes, little Patty, yes, that's my daughter. Yes, you wanted to go where? To Vietnam. Okay, what would she be doing in Vietnam? All right, she'll be entertaining. How?" Uh, 5,000 Australian soldiers at Nui Dat. Okay. Will she be getting three square meals a day? <laughs> and little Patty, you know, puts the phone down and there's hell to pay when, when her father comes home and he's not happy at all, Joe Amphlett. Okay, and, but he does get three, she does get three meals a day. Yeah, she does get three square meals a day. And so we come to the 16th of August, 1966, and there at Nui Dat, the Australian soldiers are in their base. And the idea of this base is basically at the beginning of the Vietnam War, the uh, the Australians had gone in to support the Americans and they'd hated it because they saw the way the Americans fought, which was basically we're going to win this war with hardware, napalm, phantom jets, heavy artillery, tanks, the whole thing, and we'll smoke cigars as we head into the jungle. And the initial Australians that fought beside them, who'd had experience in New Guinea, in Borneo and Malaysia, said, listen, that's not the way... We, we wish to fight this war and we we want to move like animals through the jungle. We want to win hearts and minds with stealth, with, with kindness, if you like. And the, so in the end, after negotiations, they were given Phuc Thuy province to hold, which was an important province uh, in South Vietnam, and their job was to limit the traffic of the Viet Cong. And so they're on Nui Dat on the 16th of August and at 2.30 in the morning of the morning of the 17th of August, everything, most people are, of them are asleep when suddenly, <laughs> bang, and the mortars start and, and, you know, action, everybody to action stations, get in the trenches, rat-a-tat-tat, the guns are coming and they send up flares wondering if they're about to be overwhelmed by Viet Cong forces. Who they didn't really know were there in number. No, that well... This is, it's very complicated, but at the very top level, intelligence had come through to, to Brigadier Jackson that we think there's a force of 2000 VC heading this way, which was deeply embarrassing to Australian forces because their job was to quell VC forces. It can't be true. But this captain, Captain Bob Keep, said, I think they're heading towards Nui, the hill Nui Dat 2, which is just beyond Long Tan Plantation. And so this mortar fire comes in on the morning of the 17th, in the early hours of the 17th, 
And 22 Australian soldiers are wounded. One, one particularly, the word comes back, um, has been has been killed. And they, in the in the following morning, they send out Bravo Company uh, from Six Ra to go out to find where where are these come from? Where are the, where are the mortar plates? How how many are there? Where did they go to? And they head out, and over the course of the day, next day and a half, they find they find where the mortar plantations are. But Delta Company, which is the key company of the whole of the whole saga. They start to head out to relieve them on the morning of the 18th of August. Meantime, you'd reckon, wouldn't you, with the 17-year-old schoolgirl <laughs> with little Paddy and Cole Joy, you'd reckon I would have thought, listen, given we've just had a mortar, mortar attack on this base, do you reckon we should just call off the concert? <laughs> I would have thought so. No, little Paddy's flown in that morning and the Australians just cannot believe it. Before their very eyes, she is warming up on the back of a lorry with the great Cole Joy, Cole Joy and the Joy Boys. Cole Joy, I, I interviewed both him and little Paddy. Uh, for this book, and it's fascinating. Cold Joy, he's eighty-seven years old, still in fine fettle, and so as Bravo Company's going out, ding, 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 ding. well, not quite that song, but the one that you mm-hmm. played. They're warming up. They head out through the emu grass. It's hot. It's steamy. They get towards where Bravo Company is on the edge, uh, uh, on the edge of Long Tan Plantation, a rubber plantation, and Bravo Company says, "All right, here, here, and here is where they, where they are." We've seen the tracks, and the tracks are going into Long Tan Plantation. So 2.30 in the afternoon, Delta Company, under the Captain Harry Smith, who's this fierce leader, very strong man with three platoons, 10 platoon, 11 platoon, and 12 platoon, start to follow the tracks into Long Tan Plantation. It's suddenly cooler. It's, it's, they're in the shade. 11 platoon under Lieutenant Gordon Sharp, who interestingly is a conscript. He's from, he's from Tamworth and he had protested. He'd said, I don't want to be a conscript. I don't want to go to this war. But he, he, he got the training. He becomes a lieutenant. He's leading 11 platoon. And they, they they get halfway through Long Tan Plantation about 3.45 in the afternoon when they come to a track. Gordon Sharp goes over with half of his platoon. His offsider, Sergeant Bob Buick, is just about to cross this road, look left, look right, look left again. That's the way you and I were raised as kids. But as military men, they've got two guys on one side, two guys on the other, machine gun left, machine gun right, looking. And suddenly over the rise comes seeming six VC, half a dozen VC soldiers. And Bob Buick lifts his, lifts his rifle and drops two of them. And the guys behind, suddenly they hear the shots, contact, contact, man down. And it's, there's this immediate envy behind of those lucky bastards. They've had contact. They'll get medals and they'll be home by Christmas. And so... So they uh, 11 platoon crosses, they start to follow the tracks, they think they're going to track down the ones that have fired the mortar, they come to a clearing nearing 1600 hours, 
and they're about to cross the clearing when this is again 11 platoon under Gordon Sharp they're about to cross when suddenly all hell breaks loose they're right near Nui Dat 2 the hill where it has, is thought there's 2,000 the, only the top level had been told there may be 2,000 VC there these blokes had not been told and suddenly heavy machine gun fire mortar and they're under heavy attack. There's 32 of them that are under heavy attack. Gordon Sharp's on the blower. I have contact. I have contact. Section 35124. I repeat, 35124. We need artillery. I'm against a platoon. And then, no, I'm against a company. No, I may be up against a battalion. So how does we have 108 men of Delta Company split into three platoons plus headquarter company, how can they possibly hold their own against perhaps 2,000, 2,500 VC? The answer is the artillery back on Nui Dat, which is five kilometres away, they've all got these grid, grid maps. And the idea is with extraordinary precision, if you can identify where the enemy is, the Kiwi artillery mixed with a... Um, American artillery as well, on top of Nui Dat 2 and Australian artillery, they start to drop the shells down. And so back with Harry Smith, the the commander of Delta Company, he realises we've got heavy contact here, we're going to have to try to get them out. So he sends 10 platoon around to the left, he sends 12 platoon around to the right, the rain starts to fall. These guys are fighting for their lives. In the initial contact, half a dozen of them have gone down and it's a matter of extrication. A guy called Dave Sabin, Lieutenant Dave Sabin, is uh, the commander of 12 Platoon, a, a graduate of Trinity, Trinity Grammar here in Sydney. And at one point, as they're going forward, they see the VC coming for them, and it feels like nothing can save them. At this point, by Dave Sabin's account, the rain comes down. They throw themselves on their belly. The rain comes down so heavily that it, it's like a six-inch mist comes up of red mist on the red soil. Dave Sabin's account is it's like we had like our crocodile eyes out of the top of the mist. We could see the VC coming. They couldn't see us. We fire at them. They then put up flares so that 11 company can know where they are to come back. Meantime, Gordon Sharp, who you remember, the man from Tamworth, the lieutenant, he's still calling in the artillery fire. Bob Buick, sergeant says, keep your head down or you'll get killed. And tragically, he uh, suddenly uh, one of the shots takes him. Okay, uh, the, the, the man from Tamworth who didn't want to be there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, a sad corollary of that is three days later, I'll just duck forward a minute, the word comes to his fine family in Tamworth and they're just coming home from Saturday Mass. And the man who is Warrant Officer Cosgrove, the father of the man that became our Governor General, and a policeman and a priest go to break the news. And they tell Mr. and Mrs. Sharp, we are terribly sorry to inform you that your son, Lieutenant, and they don't get through it before Mrs. Sharp, not unreasonably, becomes very emotional and throws them out and says, my son never wanted to be there and this is a disgrace and so forth. But back there in the middle of it, the, the you've got 11 platoon, 12 platoon and 10 platoon, Delta Company get back to, to Harry Smith 
and they form basically a corral. It's us against them. We're fighting hard, but they're running out of ammo. And this is the part that I most love of the story. How are we going to get the ammo? Well, we've got APCs, armoured personnel carriers. They'll take two hours. But what we most want is choppers. We've got, we've got these choppers. And this guy, Bluey Collins, he's the lowest ranked of one of the choppers. He says to his commanders, these are Australians out there. We've got to, we've got to get to them. We've got to, we've got to do something. And his flight lieutenant, he's a bloke by the name of Frank Riley, mad drinker, mad Saturday night man, mad attender of masses, Catholic masses, where he'd achieve forgiveness. And he goes up and there's this great conversation going on of what are we going to do? How are we going to get the ammo? And the strict protocol is you cannot send in Australian choppers because they are flying Coke cans with little propellers on top. They would be torn apart. Frank Riley says, I want to go. I want to. Two choppers, we'll, we'll go, we'll drop the mammoth. They say, well, we can't. We can't do it without permission from Canberra. because that From Canberra? From Canberra. Because the RAF, and this is complicated, but basically the RAF did not answer to the army. The RAF had so few, such few assets in Vietnam that had previous disasters, you couldn't send them into a battle zone. And so they say, say to Flight Lieutenant Frank Riley, you can't go. And here is where Frank Riley, wild man from, I think from the Blue Mountains, electrician from the Blue Mountains, he steps forward and says, you listen to me. He's talking to brigadiers and colonels. I'm not asking you whether I can go. I am on a mission. My base is Vung Tau. I am here at Nui Dat. I am in the course of a mission. I am the commander of my machine. I am going. His fellow flight lieutenant, Bob Grandin, fantastic man, lives up on the Sunshine Coast, is looking at him with eyes like dinner plates and says to him when they get outside, because they allow that he is the commander, says to him, what the ruck are you doing? You're going to get us all killed, Frank Riley says. You don't have to go. I'll go on my own. Of course I'm coming with you. So they they take the two choppers, they start to load them up, and they proceed to, as they take off at six o'clock at night, they can see the storm. Little Patty, when she's taken off, gives an account of seeing the, the, the explosions over Long Tan Plantation. They're so loaded down with, with ammo. And at one point, they're just about to take off when a digger, a cook, comes with his rifle and they say, what are you doing? He says, they're my mates out there, I'm coming. And they say, well, you can't, I'm coming. And they say, well, you tell us which boxes you want us to offload to get you on board. Oh, okay. So they take off and they do what they call a split-ass turn, which was a thing that they developed. One chopper goes high, one chopper goes low. And the chopper on high talks in the one that is on low. And Bob Grandin told me this story, and I, I love this part. As they're coming in over where Delta Company is fighting for their very lives, they've got 18 dead, they've got 24 wounded, they're running out of ammo. 65,000 years of Australian manhood, only once has, by my count, an Australian male tried to make his genitalia <laughs> smaller. And Bob Grandin said, as he was coming in over over where Delta Company's fighting for their lives, he was keenly aware that just one bullet through the Coke can that they were flying would take him out. And he said, and I tried to, to <laughs> suck, tuck, yeah. suck it in, tuck myself in, and then they, they're the ones that are on high. And they're on radio to the other chopper, and they say, OK, 500 yards forward, 20 to the right, 50 forward now, 40, 30, 20, 10 to the right, roll, tumble, tumble, tumble now. And they turn the chopper over, and they're able to kick 
kick the ammo out, the tumbles down on Delta Company. They go up, they call in the second chopper, they get the ammo to them. And this guy, this fantastic guy, sometimes when you're doing letters and diaries and accounts, these guys leap from the page. And this bloke, Sergeant Major Jack Kirby, when you go through the accounts and you talk to the guys that were there, it felt like there were 15 of them because he was the one that was gathering in the ammo. He was distributing. He was putting them here. He was putting them left. He was seeing a machine gun company from VC set up. He was taking them out. He was dragging wounded. This guy organises them particularly. They fight for their lives for the next 90 minutes. The APCs, 10 APCs, armoured personnel carriers, get there at about 7 o'clock. And at the time, it felt like they'd had a a terrible loss because they had 18 dead. It was only the following day when they realised how many VC had been killed, that that had an extraordinary victory such as it is. But then, I mean, we haven't got time, but should we have been there in the first place? No, we should not. Did our blokes fight well? Well, that's right. They're big questions. But just the the narrow question, was it a defeat or was it a victory? Because, uh, of course, yeah, as you say, initially considered a a defeat, but then some others say... uh, really, in, in retrospect, that it, it was a strategic victory. It prevented the VC moving against Nui Dad. It was a tragic victory, and I, the, I was most moved by, by the blokes I talked to talking about how the following day, when they're gathering the VC dead, they're all trying to check their pockets to get intelligence orders, and they start to pull out photos of, you know, them with their girlfriend, them with their mums and dads, and, you know, more than ever, they realise these blokes are just like us. Yeah. Peter, thank you very much. Peter Fitzsimons on the Battle of Long Tan, based on his recently published book of the same name. Uh, Of course, you can listen, as always, to Self-Improvement Wednesday back on abc.net.au slash Sydney. Subscribe to the podcast. Next week, Dr Heather Handley, volcanologist at Monash University on the 1883 eruption. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week.